And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Arabic for keep off the grass in honor of uh, <laughs> something we'll get to later in the show. I'm Drew Scanlon. <laughs> Joining me is uh, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? Good. Keep off the sand, you mean. Uh, well, I'm going to talk about something that happened in the last race, not the oh. upcoming one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that's that's very, that's very good. That's very good. Uh, also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Doing pretty well. Uh, already enjoying this new season of F1. Yes. Uh, I hope <laughs> our patrons enjoyed the, uh, the special appearance by General NASCAR. Oh, my uh, God. the last week. Explain um, this for people who aren't on the Patreon because it's just too ridiculous. Did you put a little video of it? You just put a screenshot up on Twitter, right? On Twitter, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we <laughs> we put it like a stretch goal for 250 patrons, which we have blown by at this point. I think we're nearing yeah, 450 nuts. at this point. So thank you to everyone who is uh, supporting us on there. That's so awesome. Um, but we needed like a stretch goal. And so I just threw out, well, if we get 250, then I'll, I don't know, do the NASCAR voice of something, the D-Day speech or whatever. Uh, this this was happened, very much like like it. we were we were trying to f- figure out something like on Twitter in the dead of night when we accidentally blew past a hundred or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. You kind of just came up with it off the top of your head. So to see it actually in the flesh is just is wonderful. Dreams coming true. <laughs> I spent way too long on it. I, I had to research uh, the Prelinger archive, uh, get some audio network tracks, uh, do some uh, Adobe Premiere color work. Uh, I'm really proud of the way it turned out, but uh, that's it's it's uh, it's your patron money being put to use. You had to license that track, like I did. You had yeah. to you you had to pay that money. So yeah, um, about yeah. thirty bucks. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> your pay your patron money hard at work. Yeah, can I give you a little bit of a rundown for all the stuff that's gone up there for the past couple of days? Yeah, yeah. So Danny, uh, in the background, Danny's the one who's really the... You look at the Patreon, I think, the most, and you've been posting the most on there. Uh, I, I check out all the comments and stuff, but uh, you're 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 good at writing words. I like spamming. I'm terrible at actually spelling. It's probably one of the things I'm the worst at in the world. <laughs> um, so apologies to everyone for that. Um, but yeah, we've uh, we've had a bunch of updates and a bunch of polls and stuff like that, just getting feedback on what people would like from the podcast this year. Um, I just want to let people know that we have uh, the first of our like video game Let's Plays. Uh, I'm going to play Jeff Crammon's Formula 1 Grand Prix. It was by far, in a way, the one that got the most votes. Um, for what, while I was uh, asked, what console? Uh, I, I said either PC, which is DOS, or Amiga. I couldn't get my Amiga version working properly with sound, so I'm playing the PC version, okay. um, which I did get. You can actually just play it on, like, you know those, like, archive, video game archive websites that just play DOSBox in the browser? Oh, uh-huh. You can, like, super just do that. Um, so that's coming. Uh, we got the questions for the video Q&A with the three of us. We'll get that done in the next uh, week or two. Um, and, uh, yeah, shout out to the 447 patrons who joined up. I bought my first piece of shift f1 equipment a webcam so that i can properly talk to you guys on skype without using the haphazard sort of you know thrown together how is um, it are, do you you have a, like a dslr going hdmi out into a capture device and then you're yeah. sharing the screen is that what you're doing yeah i have to share the screen because skype just won't play nice with like non-webcams so this is just like the setup i have for streaming so i just got a little logitech webcam like 40 bucks or something but there you go your patron money being put to good use. So thanks to everyone <laughs> over at patreon.com slash shift F1. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, should we jump right in, fellas, to the first race of the season? Absolutely. 
Uh, I don't know about you guys. I was super excited about qualifying, which is, I mean, yeah. it's the first real indication of how the season is going to go. Like you, uh, preseason testing uh, and even the practice sessions, teams can sandbag all over the place. But like mm. when it comes down to, I guess, Q3 really is when everybody turns it up, then you really get to see the rubber meets the road, so to speak. Um, yeah, I watched it live as well. Rob, did you? Uh, I watched it on tape, uh, but awesome. yeah, I did. Goodness, I didn't watch it live. Oh, heavens, I'm <laughs> on the East Coast. Uh, oh, I forgot. Yeah, I was in Austin at South by Southwest, and I think... That's I kinda, still an ungodly it, hour. Was it worse? Yeah, it was like one thirty or something. And yeah. I think I'd come back from a bar and was just uh, like, that ah, explains fuck everything. It. Yeah, that <laughs> I'll stay up even longer. That explains watching it live. I, I didn't want to make assumptions about like, so how drunk <laughs> were you when you were watching uh, qualifying? <laughs> Uh, because the, that is basically like the only time I've caught any live sessions from Australia have basically <laughs> when I'm when I've been pulling a long night and uh, you know turn on TV and there's F1 to get me through the worst of it. Well, this I is the one actually, where the the West Coast can actually watch at a reasonable hour. Yeah, I think it was a little bit easier because of that. Uh, although I did watch, I fell asleep during the race because I actually was drunk. Uh, during the race night um but i woke up the next morning and thanks to your friends at f1 tv i just hit resume and uh watch the rest of it how was uh, how's the f1 tv experience going yeah it worked to, it, like very similar to last year i couldn't like it felt like it was the exact same thing did the audio um, stay with you it was the same situation with the sky stuff but like they had the the world feed so they were doing nothing where like before the race they were you know there was audio from segments that weren't playing but it on didn't the cut out or anything no, it was fine, and there was okay. no dragging or anything like that. So, oh yeah, I remember. I forget actually. Last year there was like problems, right? Yeah, the the sky um, feed would drop out. Like, you would yeah, just get race I, noise, and no commentators for a few seconds. Oh yeah, and also I believe there was a couple of races last year where it was like maybe a second late or something. Mm, okay, yeah. There was uh, yeah, there was none of that. It was fine. Okay. but it but it's still very bizarre watching the you know Martin Brundle's pit walk, hearing it, and you just seeing footage of you know whatever. Oh, that is weird. Yeah, uh, I, I watched it on ESPN, and there's no commercials, so that was a kind awesome. of question mark going in this year. Would they keep that format? And there's, yep, it's the full race. So that's cool. Uh, ESPN people, you uh, you're not missing much if um, without F1 TV, as long mm. as you can, you know, do uh, on demand ESPN stuff. Um, but yeah, qualifying Q1. Here's who goes out: uh, Stroll, Gasly, Signs, Russell, and Kubica. Uh, yes, that's Gasly in the Red Bull, starting seventeenth. Mm. Don't know what that was about. No, and I don't think they've said much about what went wrong in that uh, qualifying session, which makes me think nothing went wrong except the driver. Um, yeah, but I didn't see. Usually, when there's an issue, uh, people are quick to explain why a driver in a car didn't sort of meet expectations. To my knowledge, I haven't seen anything from Red Bull uh, accounting for what went wrong there. Um, whereas McLaren did have a bit, a bit of bad luck with, uh, with, with Sainz basically being on a hot lap uh, at the exact wrong moment when Kubica uh, sort of kissed uh, Australia's version of the Wall of Champions at <laughs> yeah. the end of the sweeping uh, turn 10. Uh, right before the chicane into 11 and 12, uh, Kubica just sort of nailed that wall and, uh, you know, blew the tire out. And si- signs basically, like, drove right up on the back of him as the yells, yells come out. 
And uh, that was the end of his uh, chance to mm. sort of advance, which he probably was on track to do. The McLarens didn't look bad. Uh, quick note about Williams, by the way. Um, so, because it, it's worth discussing right now. Apparently, according to Kubica's uh, statements he made after the race, the team was short on parts uh, at wow. the race that were necessary for repairing what sounded like basic wear, wear and tear. And oh, one of man. the instructions Kubica had was to stay away from curbs during the session because the team couldn't fix the damage that had already been done to the car oh, uh, in practice. And so uh, apparently like the car was... It sounds like the car was certainly a little bit broken before qualifying. It was definitely damaged uh, during the race. And... Uh, just that was something Williams had to deal with. Uh, they just do not have, they could not maintain those cars in fighting condition uh, for the entire race weekend. I, I heard him say, um, I don't know if it, this was in regards to qualifying or the race, but he said he was almost laughing at how undrivable the car was. <laughs> uh, and uh, after the race, I mean, uh, spoilers, uh, they came in, uh, you know, 19th and 20th. But uh, they did finish. They did finish. Uh, <laughs> Russell said, there's one fundamental weakness, which I don't want to discuss publicly, but we understand what it is. It's uh, the car. But that doesn't mean we can wake up on Monday morning to rectify it. So to change something so fundamental will take months of development, work in the simulator and designers working on it, and that's what needs to be done at the moment. Um, apparently, they're kind of treating, they treated that race as a test, another test session. They even pitted twice so they could try all three yeah. tire compounds. Uh, and <laughs> maybe worth pointing out, their qualifying time was 0.1 seconds slower than last year. That's so bad. And yeah. they're finishing. I mean, yeah, like w w Kibitza was one lap down and I think it was, yeah, they were like over a minute off the pace. I mean, it, pr pr yeah, sorry, we'll get to the race. I don't want to spoil it. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, Q2, um, these guys went out, Hulkenberg and Ricardo, both Renaults in 11th and 12th. Uh, Albon, Giovinazzi, and Gafiat. So, yeah, tough for Renault to lose out to uh, to McLaren and Racing mm. Point uh, in Q2 because those guys got through. Um, not a great start for Ricardo, but I'm sure he'll make it up in the race. Uh, <clears throat> Q3. <laughs> Um, Botas and Hamilton trade lap records, and it looks like it could be anybody's game at the end, but uh, Hamilton nabs it by 0.1 seconds for his sixth consecutive pole position. Uh, but I think the real shocker here is that Vettel was 0.7 seconds down and Leclerc one full second off the pace, which is uh, not boding well for the race. No, and once again, it underscores the degree to which the preseason testing for teams running at the front doesn't predict or indicate anything. Um, you know, you had that Hamilton quote going around for a while saying, oh, we think Ferrari has a half second on us, uh, which is a pretty substantial, uh, you know, gap to, for, for Mercedes to, to make up. And then you see, uh, in practice, it was already clear that maybe that gap wasn't real. And then certainly by qualifying by the end, uh, it is another season in the uh, Mercedes Silver Arrows era. And it is it does not bode well uh, for where Ferrari is relative to Mercedes. Now, again, it's a long season. There's so much time and space for development in the season of F1. Uh, but Mercedes was indeed sandbagging like crazy uh, during preseason testing. 
as is their prerogative. Um, Verstappen splits the Ferraris down 0.8 to Hamilton, uh, and Grosjean and Magnussen in 7th uh, and 6th for Haas. Uh, Lando Norris hangs on for a very respectable 8th. Uh, he is the top rookie. Um, Kimi Raikkonen holding it down for Alfa Romeo in ninth place, and Perez rounding out the top 10 for Racing Point. Okay. Uh, let's get to the race, guys. Uh, of the last seven Australian Grand Prix Daniel Ricciardo has raced, he's only placed in four of them with two DNFs and one disqualification. Mm. Uh, also last year, uh, throughout the whole season, he did not complete eight of the races. So here we go. First race of the season, Australian Grand Prix, uh, Daniel Ricardo, Redemption Day, hometown boy, take us through the start, Danny. You're burying the lead there, Drew. Uh, yeah, lights out and away we go on the 2019 season. Um, all eyes on the, the, the front of the pack between Bottas and Hamilton and, and Valtteri gets a great start um, out in front going into the first set of turns but suddenly in the back a yellow and black car does what I've only seen there's that famous video of the um, of uh, of when the wheels come off that, that car what was it like maybe seven or eight years ago and both of them fly off or the odd time where you see a, a damaged front wing get gobbled up by the car you know like something mm-hmm. like that usually we see these things happen after a bit of damage has occurred but Danny Ricardo drifting uh, you know gets a good start and sort of drifts off the right side of the track um, in attempts to uh, over overtake the car in front or get in a good position going into the first turn I guess rides the grass and there's this little shelf of of tarmac like maybe it's a gutter maybe it's not maybe it just is a slightly higher piece of road right it's very slight yeah and and I guess the grass was like at a different height or whatever but the minute he take hits this thing it's just like 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 a like a like a big razor catching the edge of your skin where it wasn't supposed to it just grabs the edge of this concrete and he gobbles up his front wing like it's just decimated um meaning that before he has a chance to overtake anyone or even take a turn um he's basically plumb last limping back six seconds but he probably he probably maybe he had passed his pit box perhaps he hadn't even passed his pit i think he probably had just passed his pit box by the time he (laughs) did this so he had to essentially do as much of the lap as possible um without without a front wing um and probably sustained damage floor damage to the car maybe the wheels as well um just a absolute you could hear the groan from the crowd it was like they literally you could hear the entire (laughs) audience go oh as it happened when they realized which one of the renos it was about two seconds after it happened um yeah catastrophic unbelievable and there was a lot of uh Renault yellow in the crowd so i just <laughs> i felt for everybody there um, it was really cool to see uh like everyone supporting him and supporting yeah Renault. like like changing allegiances but you know sticking with their driver i think that was uh that was pretty cool uh elsewhere in the field leclerc gets the jump on verstappen um mm-hmm. leclerc starting in fifth verstappen in fourth and even challenges vettel on the outside of turn one but gets uh shall we say escorted to the grass by uh his teammate uh, he loses a little momentum there, and Verstappen uh, takes back fourth place. Uh, in the background, by the third corner, Hulkenberg has gone from 11th to 8th and is harassing Grosjean, who uh, lost a place to 
uh, Magnuson. So th- that's a pretty good, that's probably the best onboard um, performance. Uh, I can put a link to that in the show notes to see Hulkenberg move his way through the field. Uh, any other notes from the start? No, apart from apart, the, the, I was watching Verstappen trying to trying to bite his way through those Ferraris was was quite interesting. It's it you know, it's one of those tracks. It's just there's not that much overtaking space around this one. So, um, I felt like those first couple of laps after after the first one, kind of shuffled into a bit of a procession and that kind of like, oh no, like don't don't be like this for the rest of the race. But um, <laughs> thankfully we we did have some action. Um, albeit some of it just being reliability issues with some of the cars or bad pit stops. Yeah, lap 11, uh, signs weekend goes from bad to worse with an MGUK failure. It's not often that we get straight up flames uh, these days in mm. Formula One, but uh, he had to hop out of the car pretty quickly there. Did he? He um, drove it into the pit lane, didn't he? But he, he, he had made it to the pit entrance, yeah. uh, okay. but he stopped it at the sort of entry to the pits and pulled over there. I was surprised how long it took uh, Cruz to get there with flames sort of uh licking out from under the cover and it was cool you don't see uh not in addition to flames uh you can see the metalwork blistering and bubbling uh from <laughs> from the heat which was a bit distressing uh to watch but it, it seemed like it was never actually that dangerous uh you know fortunately cut to a shot of zach brand blistering and bubbling as he <laughs> the sweat pours off his forehead as he goes oh no not again <laughs> uh, he's probably used to it at this point <laughs> uh lap 14 fettle pits um and then uh this wasn't in the i don't think we saw this in the race but there's a team radio video uh that formula one put out on their youtube channel i will link that as well Reckoning pits and uh, had to stay put for a fraction of a second longer because there was a, t- a tear off in his brake duct so the little yeah. the thing that you uh you pull off your visor because it gets you know bugs on it or whatever uh and then his engineer radios him uh the tear off was yours kimmy so be <laughs> careful when you remove the tear off leave it in the cockpit please i think you'd know by now <laughs> yeah but kimmy these rookies <laughs> yeah he is yes he's it's a new new team new team jitters uh lap 15 uh, this is also in the team radio video uh, Magnuson squeezes Hulkenberg off the road at turn one, turn one and Hulkenberg <laughs> says, uh, yeah, of course, why am I not surprised? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just in case you thought it was all changed this year. Those two are still at it. Yeah. And just in case you thought it was all changed this year, lap 16, the first Haas oh. comes into the pits. Roman Grosjean. I mean, I think last year it was his rear left and it was... Uh, it was the front left on the other one, um, but this time his front left—they just could not get it on. There was the gun; they're trying to get it on, get it on. The camera sort of pushes in. Um, thankfully, you know, this time he gets away. But it was like, oh, what a terrible, what a terrible yeah. pit stop! Wasted three or four seconds there. Um, it wouldn't be another, I think, sixteen laps until <laughs> we saw what happened to him. But I guess they they seated it incorrectly or the the nut yeah. wasn't sitting right and it just after you know a couple of thousand rotations it it uh he thought the suspension had broken i think but it was uh just a loose wheel it wasn't turning properly yeah also worth noting about this point uh they brought hamilton in in a reaction pit stop uh to whatever strategy Vettel appeared to be running uh which seemed like an early pit stop at the time to put him on uh mediums for this stage of the race and uh 
Indeed, it maybe was just a little bit early, given how that would pan out uh, over the over the next or over the rest of this race. Basically, you had to run three quarters of the race on this uh, on the set. Uh, yeah. Uh, speaking of pit stops, lap twenty five for Stappen pits from the lead, uh, having outlasted the uh, the other top three, um, and comes out fifth behind Vettel. Leclerc then pits, uh, moving Vettel and Verstappen up to third and fourth. Then, just five laps after pitting, Verstappen gets a run on Vettel on the start-finish straight. He doesn't make a pass at turn one, but keeps his momentum, and then with DRS, just manages to get by Vettel on the outside uh, and get stopped before turn three. Uh, Really good move, and honestly made the Ferrari look really slow. Yeah, and Vettel sort of like... I think he swung out a little bit. It looked like he gave him a little bit of a love kiss as he went past as well, so you could see how frustrated... Um, he was not to be able to it's going to be very interesting I mean all eyes on the Ferrari for the next race because they just they, they underperformed so much like the Delta was worse than it was last year for the first race of the season so it was uh, it was a bit of a shock you know they, 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 Red Bulls weren't overtaking them last year yeah and Vettel even asked during the race on the radio why are we so slow and mm. the response was we don't know at the moment right uh, and then uh, lap 31 Ricardo retires <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not even a, complete. So he's now four for eight in Australia. Yeah. Did any of you Grand catch Prix. the um, fight that Giovinazzi put up uh, with yeah. Lando Norris? Uh, there was a good scrap there. Uh, you know, around like lap twenty-five or so. Uh, they had a bit of where, a train behind them for a while. Yeah, they did. Like, and frankly, like, yes, Giovinazzi was holding a bunch of people up, which, again, maybe this is an indication of the new aero pack rules not working brilliantly for overtaking. Uh, but it did seem like there was a bit of a mismatch. Just Norris was clearly faster overall, but didn't seem to have the straight line speed to get the deal done. Uh, and Giovinazzi was making that car, uh, you know, pretty wide. Uh, I, on I old tires, he yeah, that was the really he put that it was on lap twenty seven. It looks like and mm-hmm. uh, Norris put it on lap fifteen. So Norris had the newer tires and Giovinazzi. He was like squirreling around all over the place too. Gio was yeah. They yeah, probably by kept, the time he pitted, yeah, they probably kept Giovinazzi out probably a lap. Once yeah. Norris was able to get the move done on Giovinazzi, it was like a train blowing past. <laughs> yeah, Giovinazzi he like, got overtake yeah. like four or five times, like three or four times in the next like half a lap. <laughs> Yeah, you got, but it was it was a pretty good it was a pretty good scrap, and uh, I don't know. I feel like Norris has it does seem to be a good pickup. Um, you know, overall he he looked he looked pretty good. I would say. Is it fair to say the biggest delta we've seen between the two between any two drivers is is what's going on at Alfa Romeo because Kimi was clearly getting so much more pace out of the car. Like everyone else seems to be fairly close, but like qualifying during the race. Like, you know, spoilers, but like, you know, Kimi ended up doing pretty well for himself and, and Giovanni was sort of just floundering behind a bunch of them. Yeah, they were on different pit strategies, uh, but you're mm. right. There's a pretty big gulf between qualifying position. Um, yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> Kimi is a veteran. Uh, Giovanni has not raced a full season in F1 yet. Mm. Um, so, yeah, uh, one to watch for sure. Uh, lap 37, Kvyat goes off, uh, takes a trip into the grass after overcooking yeah. it on a turn. Um, but then one lap later, he does get by Gasly, who had just come out of the pits uh, for 10th place, which 
had to be monumentally satisfying for <laughs> uh, Danny Kafiat, the guy who uh, was in a Red Bull car and then got kicked out back down to Toro Rosso and then dropped from the team and is now back passing a Red Bull. So that's Yeah, a, Danny, what did you think of Danny, Rob? I, I thought he had like a cool head on his shoulders. Like the fact that you couldn't really tell there was no incident with him or like, you know, aside from that or off, I, I guess, is that turn four, I think it is, the one at the end of the first DRS straight. Um, that was just a little bit of like him trying to, you know, outbreak somebody and, and really messing it up. But like he seemed to, he seemed to have, have his head on his shoulders. Yeah, like, I would not be surprised. Uh, I mean, you know, first of all, Gasly needs to watch out because Red Bull have shown they are willing to make uh, pretty drastic and immediate midseason changes uh, between who is driving for which team. And the thing the thing with Kafiat, I, like, I wasn't surprised. Uh, mm. The thing is, Kafiat got into a position really quickly because he was showing enormous talent at Taro Rosso. And then Red Bull promoted him into a near championship contending race car too early. Hmm. Didn't handle him well. Uh, he didn't handle himself well. But the entire thing felt like there was an enormous degree of like raw talent there that got him an opportunity that he was not ready for uh, a little too early. And then I have always kind of felt that there was a bit of a hasty discarding by Red Bull's part. Uh in my suspicion has always been in part because Red Bull has always really wanted Max to be their guy. Uh, they were they were very eager to have a have an excuse to uh, push Max to the front of of the line. And I think Kafiat ended up losing out in that deal, but I was not surprised to see him turning in a very good race. I will not be surprised if he continues to uh, beat up Gasly a little bit, uh, which <laughs> which could make for an interesting dynamic. I wouldn't. Yeah. I would pay good money to see the Verstappen Kafiat lineup uh, play out because <laughs> oh. my god! But on the same team? Oh yeah! yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah! Just, just give me that, please. Just like, just two. I'm, I'm very curious how it would go because, like, to a degree, a lot of their drawbacks are very similar. Uh, the thing is, Kafiat would have to be careful because he doesn't have the political pull that Max does, and he doesn't have a Yos, uh, you know, running running up and down the pit lane, uh, <laughs> explaining away everything that happens and uh, like terrorizing team principals. Uh, so I'm very curious what that dynamic would look like, but I don't think Verstappen would be prepared for a teammate like Kafiat in a similarly matched car. Mm. Yeah, that would oh, that'd be really good. Um, I, I really like watching this uh, this battle pack that formed uh, towards the end of the race of Hulkenberg, Raikkonen, Stroll, Kafiat, and Gasly. Like, just watching Kafiat hold off Gasly was super fun. But, like, those guys were all really close. This is from 7th to 11th place. Um, around lap 47, uh, Leclerc has closed the gap to Fettel, who's in 4th. Uh, and asks if he can pass. <clears throat> so um, he asks, shall I stay behind Sebastian, yes or no? And then his engineer says, yes, back off to save some margin. Leclerc says, okay. Engineer says, cool down the tires. Tires are not that warm. Copy. <laughs> I, I thought this was just like, uh, you know, 
Ferrari uh, prioritizing Vettel. But uh, <laughs> team principal Mattia Benotto, after the race, said, uh, Charles did a great second stint, but with 10 laps to go, there was no reason to take risks today. We were not battling for the first position. I don't understand this at all. Like, what What don't you want to risk? The cars bumping into each other? Like, just tell Vettel to let him buy. Who knows what could happen with Hamilton if Leclerc is on a faster car? He might, I don't know. Anything could happen. I don't know. I don't know what the risk would be in this case. Asking asking Sebastian to move over. Is that a risk? Yeah. That, I mean, <laughs> this is the thing. Like, there is this uh, phrase I've been, I've been hearing sort of thrown around the NBA a little bit. Uh, whether you're a wartime coach or not. Right. And the wartime coach being like, there are people who are technicians, they're scheme, uh, there's there's scheme coaches who are really like intellectuals of the game. And then there are people who are used to managing like championship contending teams packed with egos and like conflicting personalities when things begin to go wrong, when victory doesn't excuse everything. Are you the sort of person who can manage that? The other question that you have to ask is, when is it time to sort of let those egos begin to chafe when you start letting uh, these issues bubble to the surface? I don't know. I am very sympathetic to Ferrari not wanting to open the door to a, well, who who are we going to give the shot to uh, issue? Like in the first race, the first race to be like, eh, you know, Seb, you're not quite getting it done. Things have worked out better for uh, Leclerc, <laughs> move over. I understand not wanting to open that door. At the same time, I'm kind of with you, Drew. Like, there was no denying there was a pace difference. Leclerc maybe had a chance to get something done. Uh, why not? Why not let him through? And I and I do wonder if if part of it is this is a new team principle, and this is just this was one like you've already had a disappointing weekend. The car is nowhere near uh, where you were hoping it would be. Do you also then? want to open the Pandora's box of Sebastian Vettel's uh, mental state with regard to his performance on track. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm. Part of me is like, well, shouldn't your allegiance as the team principal be to the prancing horse and not to your driver? But it's all about keeping your drivers happy. And uh, this move makes it easier to do that with both of them. Their model is the Schumacher model. This is the thing. Like the, pran- the the problem I think that Ferrari has a little bit is right now everything is in the shadow of their greatest period of success uh, being the Schumacher era, where there was never any question as to who the pr- the primary driver was going to be. And if you had somebody else in a position to win a race, you crushed that person, you broke their will and moved them out of the way so Schumacher could take it. And it was it it was it's 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 pretty vicious. Uh it could be ugly to watch, but for them, it also resulted in a lot of championships. And I kind of feel to this day they still think, well, that's that's what we need to get back to. We need we need to run our strategy. The 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 primary driver and the bat and and the and the and the uh, the the B team driver, the the assistant on the track, that's our model. And uh, I'm not sure they have the components for that anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's what they had with, with, um, with Raikkonen for 
for those past couple of seasons very much so so like yeah it's going to be interesting to see. i mean we look back at with vettel and ricardo you know like he's he's he gets rattled he's already rattled with the pace of the car not not being up to snuff in that first race so yeah that's what it sounds like anyway we just give him a bit of space nothing you know what's the difference two points in the difference let's let's keep our heads down and, and go to bahrain where you know overtaking is going to be a lot easier for for people you know last year we had Ros- we had um, hamilton and, and bottas having massive battles like it's a great place for for teams to fight each other so nice big wide uh uh, 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 uh strips of track to overtake on so you know they're probably just, you know, let's not stoke the fire before that eventuality probably already comes to pass yeah. in the next race. I got to imagine, though, like, sure, you'd want to uh, keep stick to the course uh, with that strategy as the team principal. But once you if, if it if it becomes that you have this tool in um, in the Claire, I think you've <laughs> you got to use it right. Um. It's also been exciting to watch Verstappen get closer and closer to Hamilton mm. uh, at the, by the end of this race. And um, actually, by the penultimate lap, he was just within DRS range. But uh, the race ended before he can do anything. Uh, so in the end, with a commanding lead of 21 seconds over the five-time world championship champion Lewis Hamilton, uh, Valtteri Bottas comes home with a W. Seven second-place finishes last year, including one where he told Hamilton... Uh, or he got told to let Hamilton through. And uh, this is uh, first race of the season, and he gets a win. He actually bookended 2018 with the final race of 2017 he won and the first race of 2019 he won. <laughs> and uh, uh, also managed to squeeze out the fastest lap of the race on his uh, on the penultimate lap. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> his engineer was like, uh, they were discussing whether they should um, uh, pit to get new tires and then go for the fastest lap. So he said, yeah. uh, no, no, we're not taking any risk there. Uh, and Valtteri says, copy, but I still want 26 points, so I'm going to try it in the end. What did you think of that? I was surprised. I was First of all, I was skeptical that the fastest lap championship point was like going to be that revolutionary or that exciting. What I didn't count on is the weird psycho- the outsized psychological impact it had on the drivers. Like, <laughs> yes. at a point in the race where things were pretty locked up and everyone just needed to be in race management mode, you're hearing these transmissions. You have Hamilton on the radio being like, I need that point, Bono. It, it's like, it's the first <laughs> yes. race. Like, do you really want to be pushing for it to go purple in, like, the last two laps? Uh, Turn the engine know, up, blow it up, maybe? Yeah, when your tires are at their at, at their more, most worn down, you really want to do that, and it turns out, yes, <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. It's just that apple on the fucking tree, and you just you can't help but pick it. They're all jonesing for it, and I wonder if it's like if you if you win the race and you don't get the fastest slap, but like almost maybe it's an asterisk on that performance. And Bottas was so assured and so confident all week, like he he was. I don't know. He seems to. I don't know what he did in the off season. I'm not sure. Maybe eating a couple of more pastries a day so he didn't have to worry about the weight limit. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe he's gone to a, you know, therapy or something. But similar to kind of what Grosjean was doing um, uh, last season with trying to get his head right, right uh, halfway through the season, um, Bottas just seems super fucking confident. And and I, I wonder if him not getting that lap was just like he needed that as well just to like cement it. Well. He did say, like, I think in the post-race interview with uh, Brundle, right, where he said he spent the race, he spent the off-season, uh, first of all, doing rally 
I think he said, which had he, oh. he, which had helped him. Uh, but he also said it got, and he sort of tapped his head, uh, and he was like, and, and getting right up here. And yeah. so I do think he was sort of alluding to the fact that either the meditative discipline of doing rally uh, is uh, like doing rally is something a lot of F1 drivers have done. It's a different discipline. Uh, it is demanding in different ways. I can see where it would make you a better, sharper driver and maybe like teach you some things about uh, racing that racing in F1 doesn't normally teach you. Uh, but I also wonder if Bottas was kind of calling attention to the fact that like last season was bad and he did not rise to the occasion well. And I would not be surprised if there was like some sports psychology and therapy that took place in yeah. the offseason. Um, and... Man, if you're Hamilton, this could be like at this point, like Hamilton has no reason to like you have so many championships. Like let let your buddy have his yeah. shot. He's gonna be he's been a great teammate to you. Uh but if this is if this is Botas with like, you know, all with with his mind right and uh carrying a little bit of uh fighting weight on him and you know, just being relaxed and, and at home with, with his position on the team, um that was an ass kicking he delivered. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the uh, the. I mean, it wasn't that many moons ago, but the Rosberg Hamilton um, season. But the difference being here that like people were happy for them to be going toe to toe, but like no one really likes Rosberg. Like, <laughs> <laughs> whereas like I think people really like Botas. So it's like I I feel like I have a horse in this race way more than than that season. Yeah, agreed. Uh, this is this is Botas 2.0. His his neural net processor has been upgraded. <laughs> uh, uh, going back to the um, fastest lap point, again, the Ferrari team principal, Benotto, says, we had the window to pit Charles for new tires and try to go for the fastest lap. But I think at that stage, whenever you pit, it may be a risk, and therefore, uh, I think for us, it was more important for us to bring the car home, score the points. Yeah, I don't think Haas will be doing any... Uh... Any last-minute pit stops for for the fast slap this year? <laughs> yeah, uh, the the whole the rally thing. I was trying to think if I uh, have a an, an analogy for that, like going to rally so you can hone your skill. And I think the closest I can come up with was in high school. Whenever I wanted to get better at Counter Strike, I would go play oh. Dave Defeat. Nice. I used to play Quake. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I used to Beautiful. blame my ping and uh, <laughs> uninstall. Uh, the thing I want to shout out here, though, it like. I was sort of surprised. I was like, I felt like Norris turned in a good drive, but then he doesn't. He ends up like losing a bunch of space uh, places over the course of the race. And I was trying to figure out like he looked like he drove a pretty good race. Uh, so where did it all go wrong? Obviously, being held up by Giovinazzi was a was a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question is, he yes, he lost a couple spaces, uh, a, a couple places at the start of the race. But if you look at how his race progressed. Uh, in the pit window, he was late into his pit window, and if you look at everybody else who pitted roughly in that in that window between laps twelve and fifteen, they pretty much all regain their places like you're supposed to if your pit strategy works. Norris never gains it back. Right. Uh, so, is that a Norris didn't get the job done, or McLaren also just kind of didn't read the the, the track map right? And uh, ended up because remember when they told him when he came back out and uh, he was behind Giovinazzi, they sent him this radio message and they say, "Look, just you know, pass him, use tires if you have to." Easier said than done, but he mm-hmm. couldn't do it. 
Uh, he it, it took him ages to, to get around him. Maybe that was a little lack of racecraft on his part. Maybe Giovinazzi, like Giovinazzi, certainly didn't put up a fight against uh, you know everyone else who passed him once he once he uh, got passed by by Norris. But I am kind of curious. Norris's weaker performance at that race, I think, poses three interesting questions. Is Norris not a great racer yet in F1? He might be a great driver. Uh, he might be good in qualifying, but like, does he need to develop as a racer? Does that McLaren have some deficiencies uh, as a car for overtaking? Does McLaren have issues with uh, executing team strategy? Uh, because they also they also put uh, signs awfully close behind Kubica. Uh, you know they had him running behind a Williams when he needed a hot lap to go well to get in. Now that wasn't under his control. He probably would have had a good window, but that was leaving a little late. So I, I think Norris's you know fall into twelfth position. Uh, I find a little bit interesting in this. Uh, McLaren looked better overall than I was expecting. But on race day, yeah, results weren't there. I, I don't know. I'm not sure if it plays into it whatsoever. But um, just thinking about those um, F2 drivers that have come in now, George Russell, Norris, and uh, Albon as well. Um, I don't think they race Melbourne, right? Bahrain's the first of the season for F2. So I don't think... I wonder if maybe the fact that neither of those had ever driven on the circuit before, perhaps that'll also have a, a little bit of effect. Um, you know... I don't know. Drivers should be able to adapt to whatever circuit they're on, but maybe Bahrain, that it being a circuit that they're more used to driving on, will yeah. see a, a different different ride out of, out of those three. Yeah, it could be. Again, one to watch. Uh, I also yeah, wanted... But, so, go ahead. Sorry, yeah, but, but what Rob's saying about... The, there is a lot of questions about that McLaren power unit, I think. And, and the, just, you know, the makeup of the team this year, that's going to be very interesting. Um, uh, yeah. I did want to point out uh, that Hamilton, at least he says after the race, <laughs> Vettel, Vettel said, uh, Hamilton, he just slowed down because he was bored. Uh, but uh, Hamilton uh, said more like something. I think he <laughs> he said that that was not true, uh, but that he did intentionally slow down. Um, and I think the, the real story here is not that Botas beat Hamilton by 20 seconds, but that Hamilton didn't have to speed up uh, to a gap of more than 20 seconds to keep Verstappen and Vettel behind. I think that is uh, the real scary part here. Right. Um, like if also uh, Hamilton had some floor damage uh, yeah. to his car, and they last I checked they didn't know where it came from, which is a little weird. Maybe I, I think one article said that he sustained it during another session, like qualifying or something, and they had fixed it, but then the fix came off, something like that. Right. Um, so I I don't doubt that Hamilton, if he was at full strength, would be right up there with Botas. Uh, I think this was the 20 seconds was like an extenuating thing. Um, but yeah, Valtteri Botas on top, Lewis Hamilton in second, Max Verstappen in third in a Honda. I know first time they've been on a podium, uh, since 2008, I yes. think I want to say British Grand Prix with Rubens Barrichello. Wow. Yep. Uh, there's a great Sorry. picture floating around of, uh, the Honda engineer from, uh, Grand Prix driver, uh, the McLaren documentary. It's a side by side of him trying to start up the McLaren, and then the same guy, like looking at the podium celebration uh, uh, and uh, being being real happy uh, that he is 
a Honda guy on the podium again. Daniel Ricardo having the opposite uh, reaction, I imagine. Yes. Uh, can we shout out, to, shout out to the Haases as well? I know we're making our way down. Yes. How about Magnussen? Yeah. So uh, it's Sebastian Pedal in fourth, followed by Charles Leclerc, and then Kevin Magnussen in sixth place. Uh, right behind him, his buddy Nico Hulkenberg, Kimi Raikkonen <laughs> in eighth, Lance Stroll in ninth, uh, and Danny Kvyat rounding out the points paying positions. Uh, behind them, Gasly, Norris, Perez, Albin, Giovinazzi, Russell, and Kubica. Not classified were Roman Grosjean, who went out with a wheel problem. Uh, Danny Rick with that uh, wing and undercarriage damage. And uh, Carlos Sainz Jr. with a power unit problem. Hmm. Also, so much confetti. So much confetti on the podium. <laughs> I've never seen that much confetti. I couldn't even... It was like an impenetrable mass. <laughs> I, who did the interviews at the end again? I know they do. They have two sets of interviews now. Brundle does the little diddy downstairs. Oh no, did he? Who did I? F- I can't remember. I was hungover. Yeah, I, d- I don't remember either. Uh, but Botas so did dedicate his win to uh, race director Charlie Whiting. He says, yes. "I want to say again, thank you, Charlie. This win is for Charlie and all his work for Formula One. He's done massive amounts. What he's done, it means a lot to all of us." Uh, yeah, a lot of cars with liveries um, uh, uh, giving him a, giving him uh, last minute. I guess they had to prep to give him a shout out. Uh, yeah, lots of nice articles written over the break as well um, about him. And I, I think uh, sorry, it was Mark Webber, I believe, who of course because Australian Grand Prix, who did the podium stuff, sure. I believe. Uh, yeah, and we we didn't mention that I guess in the last episode because uh, we recorded right before it happened. But yes, Charlie Whiting, uh, race director of Formula One for years and years and years, um, unfortunately passed away. I think with a, a brain aneurysm, um, the Thursday before the F one season kicked off. So it was just mm. an absolute torpedo. Uh, I think to everyone in that small community that works there, and uh, to us at home, we don't see him a lot. But uh, it's it's hard not to to feel his influence on the sport, and he's also just the seems like whenever I see clips of him, he just seems like the nicest guy. Yeah, the driver. Did you watch the drivers interview after the fact, guys? There was a uh, some nice little moments with a bunch of the drivers. I think Sebastian had been around the track with him the day before. A couple yeah. of them had. Kubica yeah. was saying, uh, "Oh, he hadn't got a chance to catch up with him yet, but he saw Sebastian was talking to him, so he was like, oh, I'll, I'll talk to him tomorrow.'" Um, and obviously, he never made it to the track. Very sad, very you know, young and, and influential, and a lot of people saying as well that the the, the qualifying rule was the last uh, piece of uh, uh, rule changes that he signed in this year. So every time there's one of those, we should remember him. <laughs> yeah, it also as a reminder of in some ways how young modern F1 is as a sport. When you real like, there's this generation of personalities who have played such a massive role in the development of the sport and uh, sort of the administration of its roles. And it is wild to think, like, Charlie Whiting didn't just... He wasn't just, like, the race director. He kind of invented what that position really meant for F1, right? And it's going to be... He's one of those people that are difficult to replace, not just because they've been in position for a long time, uh, and because they are like special talented people, but like Whiting kind of developed what the race director does, you know, kind of like being a liaison between sporting regulations and drivers, 
uh, being a la- liaison between uh, you know the, the marshals and the drivers, and also being somebody who like oversees the development of a lot of the, the rules and regulations around the sport and how those things are enforced during the race. And you, ca- I don't think you can just put somebody else in that role because Charlie Whiting had been around so long. And he had sort of the moral authority to, you know, it's, he was Charlie Whiting. He was an institution. He was he was part of the fabric of F1. And I'm not sure anyone you have come in to replace him as race director, whoever it is, is not going to be Charlie Whiting. They cannot, I, I do not think they can play the same role that Charlie Whiting did because they do not have the history uh, the, the Charlie Whiting brought the, the, the history and sort of the weight of experience and uh, success that, that Whiting brought to the role. Yeah, I remember he was kind of brought in from that, you know, that it's similar to Eccleston and that like, you know, for his sins, Bernie wore a lot of hats because he was kind of a bit of a control freak. But, you know, Bernie put him in that position as well from the time working, um, working together, running a team. Um, And it seems like a similar kind of thing when you're when you're replacing somebody like him who wore a lot of different hats that it, they'll probably divvy up the, the responsibility um, uh, so that whoever sits in the race director position, as it were, will, will probably be doing a fraction of the job that, that, uh, that Charlie did so well um, for so long as well. Yeah, well said. Um, I think probably aside from, uh, from that, the, the biggest, well, I guess, talking point, uh, not news necessarily, but is sort of what's up with Ferrari. Is this, are we... Are they totally hosed? Uh, is this just a one-off? What is up? Uh, it seems like Ferrari are playing it pretty close to the chest, of course, but uh, there are some other theories. Um, uh, they, for their part, uh, are kind of couching this as, we just didn't get the setup right here. Um, Spain and Melbourne are pretty different tracks. The latter, you know, being a temporary street circuit. Um uh, team principal Benotto said, uh, we struggled with the tires. We tried different setup approaches, but we never got the right balance. We were la- lacking grip. Do we understand that yet? Probably not. We need to go back, analyze all the data and assess what happened. So I think on the one hand, you've got the sort of positive, ah, you know, it's just, we didn't get the setup right on the negative And you have, uh, this article that came out in the BBC, uh, which was very helpfully sent to uh, at Shift F1 Podcast on Twitter by It's The Dom, which is titled Formula One colon The Secret Aerodynamicist Reveals Design Concepts. Um, I'll link it in the show notes because it's just a, a fantastic uh, introductory um, article to aerodynamics and presented in a really straightforward way and, and not, uh, you know, technical, <laughs> certainly as technical as... Um, a lot of other articles I've seen, but the secret aerodynamicist says basically there are are two ways you can go with your front wing. You can have an outwash wing or an inwash wing, and that kind of refers to where the air goes after it hits the wing. And you can kind of tell the difference between the two because uh, an outwash wing looks like a V, like the the wings are kind of um, going up at the ends, uh, whereas an inwash wing the the uh, wings are, they make more of an A shape. So the, the wings are angled up toward the nose. Um, and you would do an inwash wing to reduce stress on the outside tips of the wing, making the wing less prone to stalling, which apparently makes the car more predictable to drive. This is what Ferrari is doing. And as the article says, 
the more predictable a car is, the greater the driver's confidence. For this reason, quite often, a more predictable car with more consistent downforce will end up being quicker than a car that in theory has more downforce, but that which cannot generate the maximum load consistently. Huh. The thing is, you have to make up for that loss of downforce somewhere else. So you can do that by enlarging the barge boards, uh, which are um, in front of the side pods, like in line with the driver um, that come up from the floor, to help corral that inwash because it's pretty turbulent. But the more you manipulate the air, the less energy it has when it reaches the diffuser in the back, which is where a lot of the work of sticking the car to the track uh, happens. So Ferrari's barge boards are big while mm. Mercedes's are small because they do the outwash wing and don't have to do as much with the barge, barge boards. So the article continues and says, in this way, Ferrari's philosophy could not only give them problems balancing the car front to rear as the season progresses, but also limit the amount of total downforce it can create. Uh, Ferrari might not be facing any problems now, by the way, this article came out before this race. <laughs> and they certainly look to have started the year with a quick car. But as the season goes on, I wouldn't be surprised to see Mercedes outdevelop them while the Scuderia find themselves stuck down a blind alley. Hmm. So there's your negative for Ferrari. Uh, but we so far only have a sample size of one. And uh, Bahrain is uh, certainly a more uh, familiar um, type of track because it is That's a really dedicated circuit. So... We shall see. I wonder if that plays differently with depending on what type of track you're running, right? Because I'm thinking like, so if you're kind of cheating, your, if you're using barge boards to uh, like catch a lot of that air, you're going and and that is going to impede the effectiveness of uh sort of the, the the rear wing and diffuser those things really do become important on tracks with high speeds and high speed corners um and i am i am curious if if you're going to see a place where like there are tracks where ferrari like these ferrari issues will impede them more uh and tracks where they can sort of get away with it a little bit but right now it does that but that that breakdown does make it sound like there's just uh you know kind of a base level flaw now how how difficult is it for a team to sort of rethink its uh front wing concept i don't know um certainly they're they're, they're supposedly a little simpler this year overall so maybe but it's like if not... you're if the rest of your car also yeah, depends on the way your front wing goes that could be a real a real tricky that's true. Everything was designed with that, that airflow. You're right. You're right. Uh, so Formula 2 kicks off this weekend in Woo-hoo! Bahrain. I uh, just wanted to highlight that because we've got a number of notable rookies there. And yeah. also Formula 2 is just cool to watch. Um, Tatiana Calderon, the uh, female Alfa Romeo test driver, first woman to drive in the series. Hell yeah. uh, is a rookie this year. Mick Schumacher, maybe you've heard of him, son of Michael, uh, is at Leclerc's old team. So look out for that. Uh, Giuliano Alessi, son of Jean Alessi. Uh, and I believe uh, the last rookie here, Juan Manuel Correra, Correa, from the USA. Hmm. Yes, so look out for that. I think you can watch it on F1 TV as well as ESPN3 is where that will be airing. There's a Formula 2 Meet the Drivers video as well on the official F1 um, 
uh, YouTube channel if yes. you want to check that out. Just generally subscribe to that channel because it's it's they've gotten really good at producing little fun features um, uh, to help you along the way, giving you some news and whatnot. Yeah, it's a good, yeah, it's a really good channel. Uh, the W Series is on track to decide the final 18 for their uh, women-only open-wheel racing series. Uh, there was a fire at the Moto E um, opener, and all this is Moto E is um, the basically Formula E, but for motorcycles, which sounds amazing. And they were going Tron, to do as we call it, yeah, basically Tron. <laughs> they were going to do uh, their opener um, on May third uh, through fifth at Hereth, but there was a fire, and every single bike got destroyed. What? Yes. Oh my God! This is and and yeah, and all the MotoGP riders could be seen leaving the scene with cans of petrol. <laughs> they say they don't. Uh, no, they do know uh, an electrical short circuit in the charging station oh, was no. likely the cause of the blazes from Motorsport.com. <laughs> it's worst possible PR that it was one of the fucking batteries that did. <laughs> so they they were quick to point out the bikes were not plugged in at the time. That's worse. That means they could just burst into flames at any moment. <laughs> it was the station, not the bikes. Uh, so, yeah, they were going to do Hereth, and then they were going to do Le Mans two years later, um, two weeks later, rather. Uh, but they have a revised calendar now, and they will be starting their season uh, at the Saxon Ring in Germany on July 5th. Uh, wow. And the schedule now comprises six races, uh, Austria, and then double headers at Misano and Valencia. So... Uh, look out for that it's sure to be very strange that is uh that is that's like what was the name of that 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 phone you couldn't bring on planes for a while there the samsung Samsung galaxy s yeah 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 that's the they are the samsung galaxy s of racing disciplines right now Uh, also in uh in in sad racing series news formula european masters will not uh go forward with the 2019 season um they are citing that there are just not enough drivers to go around for so many european racing series uh this is where uh um you may recall the horrific crash in macau of sophia flourish this is where she ended up um uh and uh unfortunately will not be racing with and no one will be racing with them uh this year so Uh, i think also formula e or formula three rather uh, uh, I think it took a lot from the other Formula Three style series, and uh, F one is trying to like there were like the the whole feeder series thing was was just this this scattershot nature, and Formula One is trying to streamline it a little more. So I think a lot of those other uh, series on the periphery, not affiliated directly with Formula One, are kind of going away. So. Um, I don't know. I would like to see uh, all, all racing happening all the time, but it may not make any sense. It's also a little bit weird that on the one hand, we have a series where it's like, damn, we need to get women opportunities in open wheel <laughs> yeah. racing. And then like basically uh, like across the circuit, different series <laughs> is like, damn, we just can't find enough qualified drivers. This woman just came in from a different series. Too bad we have to shut this entire thing down because yeah. there are no drivers to race in this series. Mm. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's the reason they gave. I mean, uh, I think the, the real thing is driver development. I suspect we are, if it's if it's not going to be this year, like we are rapidly approaching a point where a lot of driver development is going to be 
video games. Mm. Like, I this is this is an area where I would not be surprised if like there is an esports type solution to some of this, where you are seeing serious driver competition uh, in virtual racing series, and you see more of those people getting shots in junior series. It also reminds me a lot of what happened to soccer in like the uh, in the nineties, where it doesn't happen so much in American sports because you guys are actually like fairly responsible when it comes to making sure that people have third level education. But uh, the academies in, in in football in the UK started getting players much younger and younger and younger and younger. So you just you had you know, and we're seeing it right now, right? With with you know GP two or sorry Formula two and 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 Formula one, um, where we're just getting these drivers in at like nineteen, twenty, twenty one when before they were they were playing their trade and you know coming in even twenty three, twenty four, twenty five. So I wonder if that's having an erosive effect as well. Um, that you know, more prodigies. It's just sort of the way that all modern sports end up going. Yeah, um, could be. Uh, I just linked a uh, a picture in the chat for you guys. Uh, this is a a picture of a F one car, F one looking car, tweeted out by uh, Mr. Sam Collins, who is a commentator for, among other things, Super GT. Uh, he says, a lot of talk about the F1 2021 rules in the media, but here's a look at the model the teams are actually working on, codenamed India. Ground effect, basic wings, wheel covers, no barge boards. Uh, and this appears to be like a rendering of uh, where downforce occurs. Um, so this, uh, actually, as we record this, a meeting is taking place, um, or maybe has already taken place, uh, with the teams and Ross Braun of F1 to talk about 2021. And this is kind of what they're going with, uh, apparently for, um, the design of the cars and actually will Buxton, uh, of formula one said Ross Braun talked about this referring to the tweet, uh, on Melbourne's, uh, F1 TV tech talk. Personally, I love it. What do you guys think? I haven't seen it. Should I click on it? Oh, you got it. You sent me a link. Sorry. You did. did yes. Oh my goodness. Well, we were just talking about Tron a second ago, weren't we? <laughs> yeah, the colors are pretty weird. Uh, I like it. I think it's, I think it's cool. The nose is a lot more indie car like. Yeah. The the yeah the wheel covers are bizarre. That's the thing that's. They're not too egregious like, though, which I'm. No, but it's about. a strange thing. Like, to what end is it? Yeah. A downforce. I imagine it's probably to like corral a lot of the wake that comes off the tire. God, it's yeah, it's really interesting. As an aerodynamicist, they just look—they look like there's a lot more spill on the side as well. It's hard to tell without seeing a model because you, like, I can kind of see what's going on on the right side there. Well, but. so yeah, so the ducts. So hang on, are those intakes now? Yeah, on the side pods. Yeah, they're like really high though, right? Because you have you have sort of the the skirt of the car heading pretty far out to the side, but then sort of the the main part of like the fuselage. Uh, it looks like you have ducts implied there, almost like blown to the side where the mirror sets. Um, the wing is way smaller again. It looks like a yeah. it looks like a whale's tail. Hmm. Yeah. Also, who knows Fact. what these cars would look like once the teams have access to the regulations and right. uh, you know quickly start abusing this general concept. Um, I don't know. I'm. Seems neat. 
but I like I'm not enough of a uh, you know I I do not know enough about this aspect of the sport to know whether this is like ah uh, that 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 uh, you know that heat map indicates the racing is going to be great. <laughs> right, <laughs> can definitely overtake him this baby. Uh, other things that this meeting will discuss: uh, budget caps, uh, revised revenue distribution. Um, governance to, this is from the BBC, quote, end this current system where only six of the ten teams have a formal say on rules. It seems like a good idea. Uh, an outline of technical rules that will be aimed at making the cars able to race more closely, uh, louder engines, and a change to the rules governing how many parts teams can buy from rivals while still meeting the requirement of being a constructor in their own right. Uh, interestingly, the article notes that McLaren has been pushing for an approach whereby teams have to either make their own parts or can buy standard parts from the FIA. This will remo- remove the practice of buying parts from leading teams and giving teams such as Haas a chance to build a more competitive car on less budget and resources than needed to operate on the modern model of McLaren or Williams, who still function as entirely independent constructors. Then who makes the standard parts? Probably some third party like Delara or something. Oh, weird. Huh. It's. I mean, I would have expect they probably have allies in that. Actually, you can almost see the McLaren uh, Renault alliance taking shape because yeah. Cyril was out there talking about, um, you know, how he doesn't think it's right the way Tara Rosso appears to be running. What is an awful lot like a Red Bull, and arguing that there is now so much uh, overlap in the design of those two cars that. Uh, it is making it pretty unfair if you have manufacturers racing what amounts to uh, manufacturers with two sets of entries. Um, and so I, I, I do think there's there's growing panic from like the McLarens, uh, the Renaults, as to how are we going to compete and make progress in this when uh, we're, we're up against multiple teams that are basically running four cars. Uh, that's one way to do it, I guess. Um, I kind of like the way that Haas has kind of exploited this, but, um, uh, you know, that seems like a, a good halfway step between, um, that's kind of, uh, all I got for real hard hitting news. I've got a ton of links that people sent, um, just to like betting websites and yeah, just, uh, memes, et cetera. Mission. This is blinking, blinking white guy I keep seeing. <laughs> mission Winnow is back. Oh, yeah. Oh, Heading no, in the really? Give me my fucking Mission Winnow. How are they? How do they have anything to do with anything in Bahrain? Bahrain wants nothing to do with what they're selling. <laughs> but it's... Uh, but they don't have rules barring it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, just a quick shout out here. Did it's any of y'all watch the IndyCar race at Circuit of the Americas? No. no, I wanted to. Oh, dude, dude. Oh, can I tell you? When I flew into Austin, I, f- I, did you see the photograph I took? Yeah. I was literally like, I was watching the Formula One, like, Netflix show <laughs> on my phone, and I just finished the, like, w- uh, the race, shall we, the, you know, I was about to say spoilers, but obviously we know Coda is one of the last races of the season. And I just w- watched that, and I, and I was, we're, we were landing, and I was like, wait a second, and I thought, we come in west of the circuit so i looked at my window and i could see down this fucking straight awesome. i took the, the fastest picture ever it was so cool but no was there i didn't there was a there were signs for an indie thing all over austin i didn't uh get to watch it though yeah it kicked ass 
<laughs> like like hands down, the racing was pretty good. Uh, like the yeah, these are slower cars. Absolutely, they're. I think they yield. Uh, I think they're like fourteen seconds slower around the around the track right. than uh, than than F one. Uh, that they, back they, straight must suck. <laughs> yeah, they they. It's still pretty fast, though. Uh, they're, they're still doing some pretty high speeds. Uh, but the other thing that IndyCar did for this... Remember how, once upon a time, in the midst of time, there was the XFL. And they changed receiving rules so that if you just yes. brought down any part of your body inbounds, it was a catch. And the idea was it's going to generate all sorts of wild action. Now, in that case, it also meant there was less skill. But it did mean there was a lot of wild action there wasn't there before. This reminded me a little bit of that because for this race, IndyCar looked at the Coda layout and their decision was, yeah, you can exceed track limits for position. No problem. Wow. All those runoffs. Yeah. Those became alternate routes through the track. Like you had, like suddenly you went from the racing line to like you had three different racing lines around this track. It was nuts. Uh, and it made for an exciting race. And like, even if that does sound a little bit cheesy, how they were doing it, these guys were racing pretty closely. There were a lot of like side by side through multiple corners duels uh, happening between the between these drivers. And they've got a really exciting lineup of uh, of drivers. There was this dude I was telling you about, uh, Danny Patricio Award, <laughs> uh, a Mexican Irish driver uh, who just looked. He was very much a. Uh, overtaking machine uh, for a good portion of that race. He lost a lot of his positions due to a bad pit stop, but prior to that, he was driving way, uh, you know, uh, like out of his out of his range. He was he was he was really uh generating a lot of action on the track. And then uh, we had sort of a adorably like young rookie driver, uh, Colton Herta, uh, son of Brian Herta. Ended up winning the race. Uh, a bit fluky. Will Power had basically read that, led that race from the start and uh, had, had uh, put the car on the pole. He went in for a pit stop and his drive shaft broke uh, during oh, the pit stop. Kidding. Oh, it was oh excruciating. It was, like, it was like three minutes of watching the Penske team try to figure out how to resurrect this car before they realized wow. that there was something just irretrievably wrong uh, at the back end of it. But so Colton Herta, who run a pretty exciting and, and, and good race, he ended up winning. And uh, he's just like 18 year, years old, and he's driving for like a 21-year-old uh, team owner, uh, George Steinbrenner Jesus. the fourth. Uh, okay. So, yeah, so basically he's driving for a Steinbrenner. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. But the best part of this was, so Colton Herta, he takes off his helmet uh, in, the, you know, in the car. He's in, in victory lane. He takes off his helmet, and they wear the um, sort of um, fire retardant uh, you know, mask. Yeah, balaclava. And so he looks normal, normal. He pulls the balaclava off. This like mop of hair just explodes out of it. It's the most <laughs> anime thing I've ever seen in racing. It is ridiculous. Like, it was a fucking One Direction guy. Uh, just like suddenly it's like, oh, shit. Uh, it's a boy band uh, driver. It was, it was great. Um, it was it was a really cool race. I think I might be paying more attention to IndyCar this season. Cool, and I might suggest y'all do the same. Where would you watch it? Uh, this was on NBC Sports is running it, okay. so it's Lee Diffie uh, and a lot of other a lot of other sort of standbys of uh, of American open wheel racing broadcasts. Uh, but yeah, Lee Diffie's the the play by play guy. 
Wow. Interesting. I well, wonder if there's anywhere online you can pick that stuff up. Uh, they used to put their races on YouTube. There are currently like 30-minute highlight versions uh, on their yeah. YouTube channel. I see it here. Um, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. So uh, maybe we do a maybe we do a primer. Yeah. For patrons, that'd be really fun. Um, congratulations to uh, Spike Spiegel for winning the. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see you later what is it see you later cowboy see you, space see you space cowboy there yeah. you go there we go there we go all right danny bahrain bahrain let's travel to the persian gulf um yeah bahrain a beautiful little what is it peninsula archipelago i guess of islands off the eastern coast of uh, Saudi Arabia. It's, uh, you can get to it via the King Fahad Causeway, which is a very long um, bridge that has a mosque in the middle of it in case you get a little bit tired. Oh, my um, gosh. Uh, on the way, or I guess in case you're you're driving across and the, the right time of day um, uh, kicks in where you need to hop in. Um, yeah, it's a country about 1.5 million people. Um, first uh, race in the Middle East back in 2004. Um, it's been a, it was a day race for its first 10 years, uh, although they skipped one in 2011 when the, the protests um, number of teams uh, abstained from it. Uh, uh, they came back, though, the next year. Um, the uh, the year before that as well, you may remember, it was because uh, it used to throw me whenever I'd play the games because there was, oh, was that, this used to look different. They ran the endurance circuit. Do you remember that one year? It turned it from a 15-turn race to a 24-turn um, circuit for the... Uh, the Diamond Jubilee, which I believe is uh, 60 years um, of F1. Uh, but uh, now it's back on the F1 uh, circuit, which is uh, the, the basically their move, just a kind of a complex arena, arena part, which was kind of at the start of what would be Sector 2, I guess, now. Um, but uh, since 2014, and they did the 10-year the anniversary uh, night race, it's been a night race ever since, um, which means uh, Q2 is, uh, or sorry, P2 is very important for everyone because it's the only time except before qualifying where they sort of uh, race at um, qualifying and race conditions so uh, make sure you check that if you're going to watch any of the the uh, the practice runs uh, 15 turns like I said 5.4 kilometers um, it's, a, it's a wide track it has plenty of runoff on it it sort of has by design because they need to blow all the sand off of it in fact reliability has kind of always been a little bit of an issue here um, some leaders have suffered um, from being at the front and, and gobbling up a bit too much sand um, the the circuit's like pretty wide consistently throughout it um, it has some really high speed turns it also has some of the uh, like like um you know hardest braking turns i guess from fastest down into slowest um turn one being one and uh turn four kind of being one as well but that probably has more to do with the fact that it's on a hill than the than the apex itself it's a pretty short apex and but that section uh is probably the the place to look at when it comes to overtaking um i mentioned earlier on there was a great little and battle between um, Botas and Hamilton there. Uh, Botas and I think Rosberg. Alt- oh, sorry, I think Hamilton and Rosberg also had one there as well. Or maybe I'm conflating the two of them. If they um, had. I mean, their back and forth in 2014 was around the whole track. Basically, it was. That's awesome. when right. you knew it was on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that first turn is is it's a very like deep and hard uh, braking zone, which means um, you're you're carrying a lot of speed down that straight, and you basically got nothing to lose in terms of losing momentum, which means that both drivers um, kind of go for it. Uh, the other thing about that is that turn two and three out of that are relatively easy, just like you're you're chunking your way up the gears. Um, 
and then the the hill climb up to turn four that the draw the, the cars tend to stay pretty close to each other there and then turn four is also a good uh, place to 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 um break in early so that whole section is is very interesting um turn five and six lots of uh taking like the curbs on that on that whole area that's that's one of the kind of it's that maggots and beckett's kind of like wishy-washy snake part um the the weirdest turn coming up to the first of two drs straights so the start finish straight is a drs zone and then there's this kind of like um like an infield almost like it's the other side of uh of the of the paddock um where there's a shorter straight uh that's the only other uh drs zone but the entry into that turn 10 is one of the toughest turns in formula one and um, it's a blind turn first of all turn nine is kind of a little kink but it's downhill and it's like a corkscrew and you have to break with like loads of lateral load without being actually able to, s- to see the turn and then the other aspect of it that's um particularly challenging is that because it is a drs straight um you know getting the the proper angle on that apex is really really important um the uh the 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 drs marker is right before that as well which sort of creates this weird scenario where drivers are trying to break as late as possible so they can get in within the one second as well um which kind of adds to this whole the complexity of uh of that turn uh the turn 13 is another interesting one um high speed corner uphill it's uh turn four and turn 13 are kind of like the high points of the 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 circuit and the rest of it's um kind of sitting down the way um lots of uh fun little um overtaking moments on there as cars try and like catch up to each other the penultimate corner um or the the ultimate corner, the final corner is another sort of a good spot for for um um, catching up with someone when you're going into that start finish straight to try and get down to turn one again um yeah that's pretty much all i have to say about it except that kimmy is the is a very happy camper here he's got seven podiums which is the record um so uh it'll be interesting to see he did he got a lot out of his alfa romeo last race so it'll be interesting to see how he does uh, this race but way more overtaking way wider plenty of places to do it um yeah and you would be surprised to see uh, three cars abreast a couple of times here Fettel is also pretty good here. He's got the most wins at four, the most poles at three, and the most laps led at 221. Thank you to uh, the Formula One Twitter account for that batch of stats. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the last year's race saw Hamilton overtake three cars in one go, which was pretty awesome. Uh, this is also the place last year where uh, uh, Ricardo and Verstappen both went out. Uh, Raikkonen hit a mechanic. Uh, yeah that'll held off botas with old tires for the win gasly started sixth and got fourth in his second grand prix <laughs> um it's also in 2014 where maldonado hit gutierrez and flipped him upside down which is one of my very favorite pictures might still be the banner on the twitter account i think it is yes <laughs> yeah i almost made it the one on the patreon but thought mm, maybe not um yeah, and I hadn't ever heard the story, but uh, Formula One also tweeted out a link to this too. Um, a, uh, a cool video of uh, 2006, Raikkonen racing for McLaren. Uh, his suspension failed in Q1, so he started at the back of the grid and then in the race made up 19 places to finish third. <laughs> so uh, Kimmy's awesome is what I'm saying. Tires. We got hard, medium, and soft, guys. Woohoo! Finally. Yeah. Nothing else to be said. Yep. Uh, <laughs> they are the hardest three sets. Tell me about the compounds, Drew. 
tell me about the compounds. The numbers are one. How hard are they? Two. Oh. oh. Three. Wow. I'm yep. surprised. We're already shifted up into the, the highest reaches on the second track. Uh, these, are the, these are the hardest. Uh, I think the mm. softest tire, the C5, I think the first race will be Monaco that that comes yeah. out. Uh, weather. I saw the official Twitter account of the Bahrain Grand Prix tweet out like rain question mark. Uh, so it looks like at qualifying time, there will be a f- mm, 4% chance. Uh, but on race day, a 2% chance. So I don't know what they're talking about. Ah, it looks like there's over the course of the weekend, it gets up to 25, but that's at like 3 a.m. So I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> temperature, not so bad. 80 if uh, you're Fahrenheit and 25 if you're Celsius uh, or 26 for qualifying day. And then, ooh, 10 degrees higher for, um, for race day uh, in... Uh, in Fahrenheit and um, about 31 for uh, for Celsius. Wind actually looks like it's going to be pretty windy for the race. Mm. Um, about that time around the circuit, it's uh, 18 miles an hour or uh, 29 wow. kilometers an hour. Uh, that for, is for going to be very interesting with the sand. Similar for qualifying. I wonder if uh, if, if they'll if they'll feel that. I feel like it's is it kind of in a bowl or am I making that up? This is the one with the big rock wall and one of the sides of the track right on the yes. on the outer side of the track yeah must yeah. be then yeah. i wonder if that it's it's pretty high on those sides which i imagine helps but uh driver standings Valtteri botas out front with 26 points lewis hamilton Ooh. in second with 18 max verstappen's got 15 sebastian vettel in fourth with 12 and charles leclerc rounding out the top five with 10 behind them kevin magnuson with eight hulkenberg with six Raikkonen with four, Stroll with two, and Danny Kvyat with one point. The rest, Gasly, Norris, Perez, Albon, Giovinazzi, Russell, and Bobby Kay with zero points. Uh, Constructors, Mercedes on top with 44. Ferrari's got 22. Red Bull with 15. Gene Haas and team have uh, eight. Uh, Renault's got six. Alfa Romeo Racing Ferrari has four. Racing Point BWT Mercedes has two. Scuderia Toro Rosso Honda has one. And McLaren and Williams have zero points. If uh, Williams get a, what, what is the outside bet of Williams getting a point this year? This year? Oh, I think they'll, yeah. I think they'll get a point this year. You, you think? Like, what race are 10 cars going to crush? <laughs> uh, Baku <laughs> is your answer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And they'll be so far behind, they're going to stay out of the, the melee. So, uh, Actually, can we? it would be very, very sad to, to spend this entire podcast without mentioning the glorious, sexy intro that we get to enjoy uh, at the start of every race. Have you seen <laughs> the, 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 the intro with the drivers this year? Yes. It's like, it's like the fucking Bachelor. It is unbelievable. Yeah. They are all just making love to the lens. It Wait, is, is this where those... Still shots of them when they're running down the grid. Is that where the stills are coming from? Oh, I haven't seen those. Oh, uh, yeah, like, like, it's weird, like, like turning to the camera and like, yes, humping yes. it. Okay, but, then, yeah, like, probably. And like weirdly insouciant, <laughs> like little like, oh, who me? With like, like yes. the suits like a quarter unzipped. It oh, is. I, I, 
Yeah, I, I tweeted last week. It's like it's like um, it's like a sequel to like it's like a dating simulator for F one drivers, like an initial <laughs> D dating sim or something. Um, so, you should watch it because it's like imagine imagine that, but like every half a second, there's a new driver looking at you like he wants to make love to you. You know, this might actually be a, something that's overdue. Uh, like when we were talking about Drive to Survive over on Waypoint, uh, like. Our managing editor, my friend Danielle Riendo, just eventually had to ask, like, so they're also selecting these drivers because they're, like, hot, right? Like, is, <laughs> is like, looking hot a prerequisite for an F1 driver? Uh, and the answer was no, but at the same time, like, they select for a body type that I think a lot of, like, that is generally, like, considered conventionally attractive. Uh, wow. So who knows? Maybe this is... You know, an overdue marketing effort uh, by the sport. Now that you have very few guys looking like Nigel Mansell, uh, you know, not no offense <laughs> if Nigel did it for you, uh, you know, go with God. Uh, but I, I can see this being an idea whose time has come, where it's like, let's just have uh, these guys doing like you know, slight little like peep show type shots. It's, I've, I, I wish I was a fly on the wall during those recordings and you just had like Chase Carey in the back of the room going like, you want to be a star, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. God. Join our fantasy league. <laughs> How did we do? How did I do? Am I winning? Uh, are you in it? Yeah. I think you just won what's it. Your, what's your team name? Oh, fuck. Uh, I'll have to look it up. Like, give, me, give me two seconds. Okay. Uh, the current top 10... After one race, number one with a bullet, Formula One Ton Potato. Wow, that's a good name. It's pretty good. Second place, uh, an emoticon, then the word alpha, and then the emoji of a red, blue, or a uh, red, yellow, and green light. Uh, tied with Vegeta GT. Then we've got Gives Unicorn Wings, Renegade uh, Racing Team, Leprechaun's Army, Mission Win Tomorrow. <laughs> In eighth place, Valtteri, it's James. Uh, and then tied for ninth, we've got the Hamiltons break the system, Fry or Die, and Team McF. And then I am down in place 637th. I'm in 708th. Nice. Do you, do you have a fucking guess who my top driver was? Oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> Danny Rick? It was a- it was his home Grand Prix. I thought he'd do Where bad. Where he has historically oh, no. bad outcomes, which is a tradition for Australian drivers. What? You're a terrible gambler, Danny. This is, can I just say, this is like, oh, you summer children. This is what, the, the team that I picked, like, uh, before practice started, is just like, it's a very, like, how, how, how the world changed within four days. I had Ricardo, Raikkonen, I had Leclerc, Gasly and Stroll, and I had Ferrari as my team. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. I guess that is a. <laughs> this is a good historical look at, um, you know what what we thought was going to happen uh, in this one, or what we hoped might happen. Mine was Le- Leclerc, Hulkenberg, Verstappen, Bottas, Raikkonen, and then I had Haas uh, as my team. Um, right. No, that's not true. That's what I had for. That's what I had for this one. Uh, gosh, how do I see my? I gotta change my last week. Do you want to know what the winner was? I have it here. Like the perfect uh, one. Well, Duncan, who was who who was number one in our league at the moment, had Verstappen, Botas, Raikkonen with the boost thing. I had fucking the boost on Ricardo, of course. Um, uh, Giovinazzi, Kvyat, and Mer- Mercedes. 
Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I had a boost on Ricardo, too. Great. All right, here's my Australia Great. team. Ricardo, Leclerc, Grosjean, Gasly, Cafiat, and Mercedes. So, wait. When I hear the, the winning, the winning uh, team, basically, that's like a masterpiece of arbitrage. Right, like none of those, none of the people you named were people you would have viewed as like huge gats. It was just a bet that, that like Verstappen would exceed expectation, and you know what I mean. It, it was it, it a very yeah. smart layout. It's very interesting because uh, it's it's not about like really picking the winner. It's about picking that those those mid pack drivers are going to sort of edge up uh, into the, into unexpected places and having enough of them. That's really interesting. I'll have to go to school on that. Yeah, I'm if just, you'd like I'm to... just copying that other person's team. <laughs> if you'd like to join us, uh, there's a link in the show notes. Uh, if you'd like to email us, we are uh, shiftf1podcast at gmail.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at shiftf1podcast for show updates and fun F1 stuff, and you can send us links and stuff with that we will uh, retweet maybe. Um, so thanks, everyone, uh, who wrote in and said, hey, around the internet, but now it is time to Danny... Race around the world. In Corsica, France, we are rallying uh, at the Tour de Corsa. Uh, and oh no. Oh no. Friday. Ah, uh, I don't. What could possibly have happened to make Drew feel just, so emotional? Guys, it's not called Camping World Truck anymore. I don't know what I'm oh. going to do. Oh shit. Hang on. Is it on this list? Never mind. I'll tell you later. <laughs> no, you have to you can't do that. The listeners, they're like, I need to know, Rob. I could be wrong. I was scrolling through my cable box the other day, just seeing like, <gasps> hey, what's happened in the world of sports? And it looked like there was a NASCAR race or a NASCAR adjacent race called Bariatric Specialists World <laughs> Cup or something uh, I like that. I don't know what that is. Like geriatric specialists? No, like bariatric surgery. It's amazing. Like that, which is which is very good. Uh, but yeah, definitely interesting branding opportunity there. Wow, I don't know. Do you see it, or was this was this Rob's fever dream? Did he make it up in his in his beautiful mind? Mind you, like I could be wrong because the thing is, this was if you go to like on uh, the. Xfinity X1 cable entertainment system. You can be like, "Hey, what sports are coming up?" and you, you start ske- like sorting through cards for upcoming events. <gasps> Auto is routinely pretty bad. I found it. Mm. You did. Uh, it is the NASCAR Xfinity series, which is basically uh, the the Formula Two of NASCAR at the Texas Motor Speedway this Saturday. You can watch the My Bariatric Solutions 300. Oh my god. Oh yes! Wow. Uh, in I'm gonna have to come up with something for the the NASCAR Gander trucks because that's just lame. Uh, also at the Texas Motor Speedway with for the VanCore. I mean that's a cool name, the VanCore 350. <laughs> uh, Formula Two is also in Bahrain as previously mentioned. MotoGP is in Argentina uh, for their Round Two race. And of course, with the other two NASCARs, we got the regular NASCAR. We're also at Texas uh, for Danny. Guess what? It's the O'Reilly Auto Parts 400. Uh, Auto Auto Parts, that is. O'Reilly's nothing more American than an (laughs) O'Reilly. 
yes, and Formula One. You can watch Formula One, the Gulf Air Bahrain Grand Prix Practice One Friday, March 29th at 6.55 a.m. on ESPNU Eastern Time. Uh, Practice Two is at 11 a.m. on ESPNU. Practice Three Saturday, March 30th at 8 a.m. on ESPN2. Qualifying uh, same day at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on ESPN2. Uh, And then the race... Everyone, Sunday, March 31st, 11.05 a.m. on ESPN2 in America. I'm going to hope my daughter wakes up early that day. That's (laughs) what I'm going to set her up. That's very watchable for uh, for you East East Coasties. Yeah. I guess for me, that's what, 8 a.m.? Oh. Uh wow okay that's a big old episode uh until next time I am Drew Scanlon that is Denny O'Dwyer and Rob Zachney if you'd like to support the show you can do so at Patreon.com/shiftf1 uh, anything else fellas Danny looking forward to it um yeah opposite side of uh, the F1 coin this one lots of overtaking um reliability might be more of a problem than this one too so should be interesting and Rob get the straightened out Ferrari come on you can't yes I got a text from my dad. Uh, after the race and he was like another mercedes one two i am so over this and that was that was his final word on the race i was like what about all that good midfield action he's like don't care wow (laughs) wow not a true fan true fans care about midfield action true fans are here for the paddock gossip well, I'll be watching all of it this weekend. Uh, have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next time. Yeah.